change is the only constant in every aspect of our lives, be it how we work, how we live, how we learn. It forces us to make the right decisions without the choice of looking back at history and conventions to know what's right. I am Vikram Baskaran, and this is Charge B's Champions of Change podcast, where we talk to changemakers who've walked before us, built businesses on first principles, and unearth their tips and tricks to identify change and turn that into opportunity. Remember, you're just one decision away from being a change maker. The beginning is where we make the most mistakes because everything is trial and error. And today we have with us someone who is a master of beginning, someone who's seen a lot of trial and errors in their lives and the lives of others that they've enabled. Most importantly, we have someone who uses his learnings to guide people from making the same beginner's mistakes and avoiding them. We have with us Shekhar Kirani, a partner at Axel, where he specializes in investing in early stage software and mobile startups that helps enterprises. Some of the companies that he has led an investment in are ANSR, BrowserStack, CareStack, Chargebee, Cocoport, FalconX, Freshworks, Zenoti, and several other seed stage companies. He's also played a crucial role in the seed stage funding of Chargebee. So we welcome you to our podcast, Shekhar, on celebrating the champions of change. Thank you for inviting me today. And this is a privilege and honor to be talking to not only Vikram, you and your audience as well. And Shekhar, I think uh, we're, we're, we're going to go a little up and down um, the questions here because we've, we've been working together for quite a while. And I know that you're a very unique type of VC in that uh, you're the kind of investor that doesn't shy away from rolling up your sleeves and getting into the context. And you've had to play with I don't know, at least a dozen different contexts with the different startups that you that you advise, that you work with on a regular basis. So a question that I've always had is, what's your secret to juggling all of these, these different contexts? Yeah, a great question, Vikram. See, the contexts are the super rich, high fidelity data that represents the world. And that is what, at least as a very early stage investor, I look for. You know, when you look at a startup context, so there is a context of market, right? How the markets are this, then the segment of users in that market, their perceived problems, and the founders' thoughts of the problems and what they think is a solution and why it may work or may not work. Because I love these contexts because you can't read about anywhere else. You know, on a daily basis, I speak with at least uh, three to four founders and they explain and express their context of the world they are attacking. And the fastest way for me to learn about the market, about the world, is talking with uh, more uh, founders. And more I talk, more I understand the context. Because for me, context is what makes things real. And context is what makes uh, the elements of you know how founders think about all the challenges or the problems. But between you and me, we all know that the world is very chaotic and is never complete. And at a given time, given situation, what the founders are explaining is through their lens. And if you talk to other set of founders or the customers in that market, the context, what they explain as a problem is completely different from the way founders explain the same problem. So this is what, for me, the maximum learning is. And my job is to understand this context, synthesize, and with the limited data, how to make a decision in terms of what themes 
that we need to back up. And once we kind of invest in these teams, how do I help them to scale? So these contexts are bread and butter of our life and love these contexts. Phenomenal. And, and, and I love how you bring in the, the topic of the customer context, right? And, and all of these, these different opposing uh, things that come in. And so I think, I think uh, it's, it's common knowledge that you've played a pivotal role as an investor in some of the biggest tech movements in India today, right? In via Freshworks, Browser Stack, Chargebee, to name a few. But beneath all of that, you also have a hardcore product and engineering DNA. And that's, I, I, think, I think we don't get to see that too much out in the open very often. Can you talk a little bit about that shaker before you became an investor? Shaker, the product guy. <laughs> yes. See, you know, I am a late arrival into the investment world. And I have been uh, playing different roles throughout my life. My first phase of the journey has been a research role. So, you know, I went and did my PhD in computer science and looked at the deeper problems of the computer science. Also, the software engineering aspects of it. Post with worked at a research group in Boulder, Colorado. Then switched gear to two startups in the Bay Area. Both the startups was in mobile space, worked a lot in technology leadership, uh, DevOps leadership, then product leadership, and then customer success and pre-sales and overall managing the entire delivery organization you know, except sales. These startups were sold to different companies. The first one was sold to Motorola. So I was participating in the, not only the M&A activity, but also translation of the hard work into real dollars, you know, how compounding works in the startup way. And then the second startup got sold to Verisign. And then I said, okay, hey, this is very interesting that, uh, you know, it's taking five to seven years to build these startups and each startup takes a significant amount of effort. But again, different contexts, different problems. We solve two different, complete different problems. And as part of Verisign, I learned about all the growth, the P&L and subscription business. So this kind of where I see myself being an individual contributor to becoming an investor over the last, I would say, 20, 25 years has grounded me on most of the roles that the startup founders today, you know, they have to build, they have to coach, they have to guide, they have to empower. Those roles I have played before. So I feel like I'm equipped to help these founders with the right questions rather than right answers. Beautiful. And I, I also remember in, in, in uh, one, of our, uh, one of our previous conversations, uh, one of our from my memory, one of our most, uh, like one of those conversations where I walked out absolutely inspired, uh, where we were talking about customer value and driving adoption. And you spoke about one of the specific stories early in your career, how you drove adoption as one of the pioneers of, of camera technology and mobile phones back in the day. I think, I think that would be a very interesting anecdote for our audience, Shaker, if you're willing to share. Uh, yeah, this is the early days, you know, we're part of a team at a company called Lightsurf. And these were the early days of camera phones where in the US, for the very first time, we had integrated a camera into a Sanya phone sold by Sprint. And we were so happy that for the first time, we are able to create an extraordinary product in the market where people can open the camera, take a picture and share with anyone. And this is, I'm talking about pre-iPhone days. This is in uh, 2002 on a, a 
GPRS, which is 2.5G network, able to send pictures in grayscale. Okay. So we thought we have created such a revolutionary product that this will be a rocket ship in terms of people who would use this product. And obviously, the phones were sold, but number of people who were using the camera functionality of this phone were very limited. And we were scratching, you know, how can that be that this is a, such a phenomenal product, nobody is using it. Then we realized that people didn't realize that there's actually camera in the phone. Even though they see something on that, like a camera looking uh, uh, lens behind the phone, but they still felt like, I don't know what it is, but they didn't care. Until we put a camera button on a keypad. The day we changed the camera button on the keypad, where there was an internet button, we changed it to camera button. It, I think it was a 30x difference in terms of using the camera function. So this was like a mental model for me to realize that why onboarding is so important. It's not about how powerful is your product or how many features it has got. If people or the customers don't discover these things in time, there's no value of these products. So that's where you know, I stress so much today to every one of our startups on onboarding. So this is where my grounding came you know, we had worked for, I think, years, I think two, two and a half years. We launched it with a lot of fanfare. We established a massive infrastructure thinking that we'll get millions of photos in our direction, zilch, until we put the camera button. I, I particularly love this anecdote because I think it's also shaped how you invest and advise businesses today, right? So one of the things that, that it drives into, uh, as you said, is uh, how businesses think of their onboarding. But in a certain way, I think it also drives into how businesses, you, you recommend businesses to think about their customers and understanding their customers' behavior and actions. So is there specific things, you know, where you go back to that product and engineering days today when you're in a discussion with an early stage business, when you're sitting across as an investor, like how often do you have to go back to wearing those uh, product and engineer hats? So nowadays, I spend a lot more time on my phase one of the interaction on more product thinking, especially product to outside world in terms of the both telescopic view and the microscopic view of the product thinking in terms of how the customer's problems are. So, you know, for me, the best thing answers are, you know, the life of the customer. Give me something D minus 30 days to D1 or D0 in the, in the D0 where they want to use your product. Give me like minus 10 seconds to zero second where they subscribe and the first 10 seconds to first one minute. And again, D30. If founders cannot do both the macroscopic view and the microscopic view, they miss out on how to make the products exceptionally well for these uh, customers. And obviously, these customers of you know what I'm describing varies from one customer segment to the other customer segment. So you segmenting the customers, your early set of customers you want to go after, and how you're thinking through and once the conversation is there, then the question of translating, you know, how do you translate what you know into the execution of the aspects of these things in terms of the product, in terms of the design, in terms of the engineering and uh, how all things come together? I do spend on that part. But what I know today is I think 
it is becoming a lot easier to build engineering capacity. It is a lot easier to throw machines at AWS and uh, get your engineering done fast. But what is becoming harder is really understanding customers and what is going on in their mind and how you hijack what is going on in your favor. Awesome. That was, uh, as always, that was supremely deep. And, you know, almost every conversation with you kind of goes around or, or at one point or the other touches the topics on the product, obviously, like the product, how, how elegant is the product? What's the value that the product is delivering to the customers? And what's the market that you end up playing in? But as an early stage investor, you also have, oftentimes you have to take big bets with respect to the people. So between the people, the product and the market, how do you, what traits do you look for and how do you assess companies in your, in, in, in their special early, early stages? Yeah. So, so you're asking for the secret sauce of how we make investments. Always. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't think there is a, Anything that is special about, you know, you ask any investors, they look for kind of three core things in any investment decisions. Obviously, the market, you know, the then a team. What is the team going towards that market? And then the execution slash uh, performance of the team together, right? There are three aspects of that part. But when we are going early, so market is hazy. The contexts are very, very opaque. Team is also hazy. There are only two founders. Most of the, our investments, in fact, 80 to 85% of our investments are less than $2 million. When we did invest uh, in Charge B, you know, it's a very small team. When we invested in Freshworks, there were only six employees. And uh, when we invested in, uh, you know, the, the new set of companies like uh, Zenoti or CareStack, or Facilio, very, very small. In fact, Facilio, we invested before even, uh, I think, they had decided to start the company, right? So all of these are happening very early on. So their things are hazy, there's no data. So what I have to go by is the people. There are elements of this that, you know, typically at least I look for in the founders. The first and foremost, which we have been discussing a while, is... Are these founders good at framing the problem? Because if you don't frame the problem, then you start going on a solution too early. But if the problem is a wrong problem, what's the use of that answer if the question itself is wrong? So I, I look for how they're thinking about. And I know my other analogy I use uh, with a lot of founders when I kind of talk to them is, have you picked the right mountain? Everybody wants to climb, Okay. But have you picked a mountain that came by near your home, which is, uh, you know, slightly tall? You didn't know how big it is. And you start climbing. Halfway through, you realize, this is a small mountain. What do I do? I've, I'm done halfway through. I cannot come down and start the bigger mountain. I thought I'm climbing Everest, but it happens to be small. So because basically they got the problem statement wrong. So I, I want to understand how deeply they've thought about the problem or the market or the pain points of that market. So that is the framing of the problem. The second one is what I call as the learnability index. When we invested uh, in Charge B, you know, Krish, Rajaraman, KPS, and the team, they had never hired hundreds of people. They never managed thousands of customers, right? You look at even Freshworks, six employees, right? So when I look at the teams, it has to be successful means tens of thousands of customers, thousands of employees, 
hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue that's when you can declare this as a success but when i'm putting money it is zero in all three so what has to happen in the mindset of the founders is only way they can accomplish all of this is that their learnability index has to be massive which means curiosity to learn things and how they do and i i'm looking for signals in terms of what's the book they have read why did you pick that book what was the question you are trying to answer you know and what is the your response to that question so that for me is a one good signal or they took on some responsibility in their previous jobs that was completely orthogonal to their skills and they break down the problem into specific things and did something unique that's what i'm looking for because the entire startup journey is extremely ill defined the problem statements come up repeatedly and can they learn so that is one very very high important thing the other one is which is a tough one to assess but very important is the decision making as founders they have to make hundreds of decisions should i go left or right should i get this customer customer is asking for uh, some custom work should i do it or not do it i am a product purist or uh, should i go solution should i raise or not raise you know should i hire this guy is asking xyz more money than the average market as one of my employees threatening to leave should i let them go or not go hundreds and hundreds of questions come to the founders how do they decide and 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 or do they have a framework of thinking as well because if they don't have kind of their competency level in deciding and in learning and you know able to build themselves up if those two core skills are missing the rest will fall in place you know obviously they should be really great at recruiting but guess what if you don't know how to recruit which is most of the founders i am looking for is whether they know whether they know how to recruit by learning that skill that is what i am looking for because if i look for that they already know how to recruit then that's a great thing but that's not the way most of the founders come most of them are fresh out of school many times and i am looking for those signals that one day they can learn how to recruit how to empower they will make mistakes that's okay but whether they can learn to do things in the best possible way compared to the you know competition or others this is some some of the examples i'm looking for but hard to pinpoint as like a, a like a, you know a, a task list it's a balance of various these things you know market insights you know hustle you know the it's because that's the other part you know a balance of patience hustle and sense of urgency all three have to be there because on some initiatives you need to be driving that in first gear or sometimes even in reverse gear but in some initiatives as a founder you have to switch to sixth gear so these are all tools so they kind of say you know get the patient mode when they are talking to say a a one product but they have to get to a sixth gear mode when they are talking to another product they are all different different things and whether they have that balance so that they know exactly how to use these tools to push the org or the company and so on amazing i'm uh, in fact in fact just this piece i think there's there's so much uh, that i would love to unpack the first thing that i would that that i think is worth unpacking is this haziness right because this haziness of course this haziness exists as an early stage uh, founder or when you're just starting before you get product market fit but i also know that a lot of startups have to deal with an insane amount of uncertainty and haziness at multiple points in their life cycle cash runways or team fallouts or market changes so how do you generally advise a startup founder to deal with these kind of haziness and uncertainties yeah so we you know the the key part is i call this as many of them are 
to some extent mental exercises so you know at the end of the day both startups as well as investors are in prediction business right i am predicting where the market would be where the customers would be and where the competition would be and when these three axes where it goes going to be over the future i'm picking a path today and obviously course correct throughout but directionally i have to be right and if i'm directionally quite wrong then you have to kind of re tour back you know if you're going in the north you have to come back to the neutral and then go towards south if you are supposed to go in the south direction right so this part of it is is where you know it 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 is the prediction business sometimes it will not go that's what you know in the start of the college pivots it i thought this is what the market is completely different and guess what i will change the problem statement changed and the frame of problem after talking to 100 customers is completely new i'm going to change that's also okay which means either you should have enough runway to do it or shut down the company and start a new fresh uh, new idea and you know raise money again and give it a shot many of our founders have gotten it right at third or fourth or fifth attempt you know uh, and they get better and better in in reading the market and predicting basically where the market is going and uh, you know sometimes you get it right first time like our charge b founders right they got it right because what i call this as where a market is in formative stage where markets are not well established and you are starting early and you're going to ride the wave with the market market to some extent teaches you as well saying what is expected and there is a lot of wiggle room for you to learn so in the case of charge b that's what i was looking for is is if the founding team cares about the customers and willing to listen because that was the founder market fit that i was looking for and the, all of them were really really worried about what customers think and get their understanding and continuously iterate the product roadmap to match because there's no equivalent product in the other industry or somewhere else for us to kind of you know figure out benchmark and say hey this is something new and that's what i would do so it is it was completely new market and you have to learn and that was the benefit where you know you're directionally growing along with the customers beautiful i i love this analogy of being in the prediction business and that's that's something that obviously you you have an eye for spotting the right market opportunities i think uh, if you were not an investor or a product person you could have also been a fortune teller i think that would have been a very 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 slightly less um, roi but pretty fun career option also but there's also a lot of uh, founders that you've backed and helped like girish from freshworks or krish from chargepi who also seem to have had this this uncanny ability to spot the right market opportunities do you have some general frameworks that you use or you recommend to understand which way the wind might blow in the future yeah so you know there are two ways to think about the markets you know one is is the market going in a pull way the sense the players in the market have realized a need they are already expressing that need in a enough way that the rest of the market will follow so that is what i call as the pull market it's starting to happen and i need to be there when the demand comes in and i have to write that or the markets are sometimes what i call as a push market there is a pain point there is a problem all customers know that problem but they suffer they don't know how to package the problem and ask for help but one or two deep founders say that hey this is where my product would be and i get around say first 
30 customers somehow and they fall in love with this product and they talk about it and they tell the another set of customers and the you know built-in virality starts becoming which i call as a kind of a push initially then product-led growth because you're creating demand on the product by itself because it solves a problem that is so ill-defined and everybody says this is awesome and when you see that you see this growth rate you know massive growth rate that happens so in both these cases you know we want to understand where again founders are coming from what are the signals they are seeing in the market and why they believe that the timing is right. Many times I have seen in my own uh, career before being an investor, sometimes you bring, bring the product too soon. The problems are not being felt and not being felt fast enough and the product dies. Or sometimes you come too late, people have already made up their mind and in order to change themselves to use your product instead of whatever they are using, it is like three to four X more effort than you know, getting in them at the right place and right time. So getting the timing right is also uh, very important. So the challenges at least I look for or the answers I'm looking for is what the market situation is. And obviously how big the market is the most important factor for any VC or a founder from a venture-backed company. And three, is the market growing or shrinking? And fourth, is it a push or a pull market? And then is this now? Why now? Or is this, uh, you know, if this was started a, a year early or would have been better or a year late. Why now? So that helps kind of, again, predict in terms of whether we are on the right path or not. Brilliant. So just uh, completely shifting gears again, uh, Shekhar, I also know that uh, outside of uh, talking about products and startups and uh, VC, uh, you're, you also bring in uh, an insane amount of social consciousness in terms of society and what are we doing to affect the world around us? So how do you see technology today affecting society positively or negatively? What are your thoughts around social consciousness from a startup and technology standpoint? Yeah, so brilliant question. So this is something I always uh, think about, you know, the type of companies we are helping and the companies that help other customers, right? Now, you look at any company, you know, like take a look at Charge B. You know, if you look at Charge B, the context when we when I heard it was that subscription engines are required by subscription-related companies or related markets such as SaaS business, e-commerce subscriptions, or media businesses. So when before we made an investment decision, I spoke to a lot of SaaS founders, and everybody said, hey, I have five to six engineers working on top of payment gateways, and I wish instead of them working on subscriptions, they are working on customer-facing problems, right? It's a human effort, and why work on things? So that's what the power of product is, right? Now, that's how Chargebee was born, where I productize that layer that gives capability for even smaller companies who can't afford a, a team to write subscriptions and give the same power as a larger company so that the la they can have a fighting power to build best of the products and serve their customers. So you are helping smaller companies get and look and feel like bigger companies. And if you look at a bigger companies, you're helping bigger companies to deploy their resources to solve more customer problems than trying to do internal engineering to do subscriptions. This is one simple example. Now, if you look at every one of the companies we invest in, they are in one way or the other helping and reimagining the world and how to make it better and how to bring value throughout the ecosystem. And that has got like a multifaceted, multi, uh, you know, things all the way from 
whether you know some of these startups are adding more carbon footprint or reducing the carbon footprint to more wealth creation or less wealth creation and who are they helping and how are they helping so it is kind of a massive things but in the context of every one of these companies whether i look at zenoti their value proposition is every spa and salon specialist will make more money with my software every salon owner will make more money with my software and by the way customers are happy and customers feel that they got the better value out of their uh, product and the software is in the middle tying all three things that's a great outcome you know if you can enable small uh, salon medi spas and uh, uh, spa companies to operate better serve their customers using the software built by zenoti if i look at carestack they're continuously thinking how a dentist makes more money how insurance company reduces the cost of serving that those dentists and the customers and how customers have a better experience at a dental office all of them coming down again as a product from carestack and the proof is in the pudding in terms of how many customers come and how much each dental office makes more money on an annualized basis before and after so these are all proof points saying that you know it is helping and that is the way i see it is that you know in terms of how each of these companies and startups are creating impact to their customers so that they can serve better their own kind of a, the value chain of their customers amazing amazing i think you've actually uh, once spoken to me about this but i just thought i mean i i find it extremely inspiring to think about what we do not just of course for you as an investor that's powering so many tech businesses and for founders of tech business but also for all of us involved in the tech world whether whether as founders or as employees or you know founding team members the fact that by building products that make a difference to people's lives were actually able to you know improve the standard of living of someone some, somewhere is truly inspiring and it adds so much context to what we do so let me just uh, close this with one really hard question shaker because i thought long and hard about this one question that i wanted to ask you if you were to get back to building a product today what could that be what is one category of product that you see doesn't exist and you were like god i just wish it were around <laughs> so this is uh, not today but I mean, i've been thinking on this problem for a very long time it's a really complex problem a lot of attempts have been being made in terms of uh, how to crack it but i think if i look at the ingredients that are available today it's just matter of time we'll find something that is extraordinary is in the area of uh, you know education and career right if i look at it you know what we study for 12 to 18 years of our education and then what we do in the work and then where we get paid for our service it is completely disjointed and on one side the amount of learning possible you know in terms of what is required now in the skills required in the companies to the supply the complete entire ecosystem is operating not in an aligned way with their own vested interests and is ripe for you know this is a multi trillion dollar industry ripe for disruption so if i have to start something i would start in that say can i reimagine how a company should have skills that are required and i work backwards to say what type of education can produce those skills not only for today and for tomorrow and then work backwards in terms of what type of uh, you know schools need to be there so that it can be reimagined 
and uh, build in a digital way and measurement way. So what you do for your customers, if it can be done here, that could be an extraordinary outcome. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shekhar. I think uh, that I think that's definitely going to at least have a few emails and LinkedIn requests your way from <laughs> startups. But uh, overall, I, I, I had a lot of fun in this conversation. I think that was a very, very, very inspiring uh, discussion as always with you. So thank you once again for, uh, for, for for participating with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Vikram, for uh, inviting me today. You know, Charge B being my one of the first few investments, I always have a lot of learning along the journey of Charge B as well. So whatever I'm learning with you all is actually I'm taking to younger uh, startups in our portfolio and helping them. And so that they can also scale along with how you all have scaled. Congratulations again in, in building an extraordinary uh, team and a company focused and obsessed with your customers and ensuring that they get the best out of your platform. Thank you. Thank you again, Shaker.